the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed. Good morning to you. Thank you so much for waking up and starting your day with AM 1420, The Answer. Whether you started it with the Hugh Hewitt program or you're starting it right now, you're here in the early going, and we really, really appreciate that. It is 11 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock. It is the 24th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023, and it is indeed a free-for-all Friday! <laughs> Mr. Scream is in rare form. I am ready to go. I wouldn't call myself in rare form. I'm still a little nasally today, but uh, feeling great, and we've got a lot of very important things to talk about today. Coming up. In about an hour and a half, at 10.35, Christina Hagen returns. She's our regular Friday commentator when the schedule allows that to happen. She will be with us. Uh, she's going to have some thoughts on what's going on in East Palestine, uh, on what's going on in uh, Springfield, Ohio. And uh, she's also going to have some thoughts on uh, the abortion issue that, well, we are obviously confronting head-on. You just heard Molly Smith there in the break or leading up to this start of the show talking about bringing America back to life. And we're going to talk to her about some unbelievable, unbelievably rather reprehensible comments from pro-abortion, 
left-wing Democrats, not in Ohio, this one is in particular, this one particularly is in Massachusetts, who are all for practicing modern-day eugenics. And that means weeding out those who are perceived to be too infirm and too unworthy of our care, particularly if it's going to cost more money. That story is just simply astounding to have it said out loud. In fact, it is so astounding that even Democrats are criticizing it, and Democrats don't criticize anything when it comes to killing babies. It's one of the favorite things that they do. But this one was a little bit too far even for many of them, and I'm going to talk about that with Christina Hagan coming up at 10.35. And then at 11.10 this morning, uh, we are going to be talking with uh, uh, Donovan. Uh, Donovan's last name is O'Neill. He is with Americans for Prosperity, and we've got a, a pretty important press release that they have announced. And our good friend Khalid Namar, who is a guest host on this program, asked, asked if we would talk to Donovan today about that, and we will share that news with you at 11.10. So those are the only two guests we have. So that means a lot of time for your phone calls, a lot of time for the free-for-all aspect of the Friday program. So I want you to dial us up, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. I want to start this morning with a little update on yesterday's monologue story and where it has gone from there. Yesterday's monologue story, if you remember, right after the top of this hour, if you listen to this program daily, you heard it, particularly at this time of the day. Um, I I was reading to you excerpts of an excerpt from uh, a Rolling Stone article, which was an excerpt of a new book written by somebody named Ernest Owens. This headline in this uh, Rolling Stone article was that cancel culture is a good thing. The argument being posited by the author of the book and in the excerpt is that cancel culture is good for democracy. It's something that should be celebrated. It's something that should be embraced. Rolling Stone and this particular author thinks that it's it's a positive thing. And if you read just the excerpt, which is in Rolling Stone, a very, very tiny portion of the book, it was so filled with attacks on whiteness and on straightness, in other words, heterosexuality, it just made you wonder, what is the argument here and what is the goal of this particular writer? And sure enough, when you check in to see who Ernest Owens is, he is a gay black man who doesn't like straight white people, and he wants straight white people to be canceled. His book is called The Case for Cancel Culture, and I read you some of the excerpts, and I told you I would love to get this guy on, because, I mean, literally, it is like, I don't know, arguing with a with a six-year-old about something uh, that they just cannot comprehend. I mean, every line in his, in his article, I'm just able to destroy with a few choice words, and I don't mean profane ones, I mean particularly well-chosen ones. And I want to do that to his face. (laughs) So I found him on Twitter, and that's how I found out who he is and what he is and why he, where his mindset is and where he's coming from, particularly from his little emojis and his little bio. He's got the black power fist and the gay pride flag side by side there, and he's just telling you exactly who he is and what he is and why he doesn't like you. So I I messaged him yesterday, are you willing to do a radio interview with someone who will shred virtually every argument you made in your book? Let me know if you've got the courage to do so. That was at 9.37 yesterday. At 9.56, he replied, read the whole book first, sir. At 9.57, I replied, Rolling Stone article was plenty. Let's discuss that. He didn't respond. 
So at 10.25, as we went into break, I hit him again. I wrote, I'm sure you'd agree that the Rolling Stone article is more than enough to establish your point on the subject at hand. Otherwise, you wouldn't have allowed it to run in excerpted form. Can we schedule a phone interview for tomorrow? Well, he didn't respond to that yesterday. He didn't respond to it last night. He responded to it this morning. You know how he responded to it? A little notice at the bottom of the message screen. You can no longer send messages to this person. (laughs) And then when I click on his actual profile, there it is. You're blocked. You cannot follow or see Mr. Ernest Owens' tweets. So I can't message him. I can't read him. I can't follow him. In other words, um, challenge rejected. He wants his case for cancel culture and his anti-whiteness and his anti-heterosexuality and heteronormatives. Uh, he wants that to uh, to be able to stand on its own. No challenge is allowed. Nobody allowed to point out the, I mean, literally, elementary school level uh, arguments that he made. The way he writes, I swear to goodness, I have graded better papers in middle school. I have. Uh, in my first uh, iteration of adult life, as I graduated from college, I was a teacher, for those who don't know. I was an English teacher, taught junior high school. And I'm telling you, I graded papers with better writing styles, with more consistent uh, writing styles, and quite frankly, that that, that were higher level in terms of uh, intellect than what I saw in the Rolling Stone excerpt of this thing. But there you go. This is just an example of the American left. Got a challenge to my point of view? I'm out of here. See ya. Fleeing the room and then blocking the door so you can't follow. The case for cancel culture, how this democratic tool works to liberate us all by Ernest Owens. So I would highly recommend that you not pick up that book because you will want to challenge things in it as well, and you will not be allowed to if you try to reach him because he will block you too. So there's a little update. It was just a fun little way to start my morning. Like, oh, let's check and see if Ernest replied. I would like to interview this guy. And um, nope, I'm blocked. So there you have it. I I figured I would just start you with an update there this morning. Now, before I get into... The rest of the opening monologue, I'm going to go ahead and do our pledge so that I'm not interrupted. I'm going to take a little bit of time with the rest of this whole thing. So I'm going to ask you, patriots and people uh, to whom this is very important, they really get mad and they call our call screener and they send me messages if I miss or I'm late with our Pledge of Allegiance. I do not want to incur your wrath. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand right now. Let's do this. Put your hand on your heart. Face your flag if you have one. And let's do our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in canceling other people's viewpoints and then blocking them when they challenge you on that, well, that flag doesn't mean a whole hell of a lot to you anyway. You may therefore feel exempted or consider yourself exempted from uh, from uh, pledging your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback while the rest of us say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. For all. all right, 919. So um, the lead story this morning that I want to begin with is actually not terribly unrelated to the story I just told you, which was an update from yesterday. Karine Jean-Pierre Diversity Hire, KJPDH for short, 
Uh, she's gay and she's black. Did you know that she's gay and she's black? Much like Ernest Owens. And it's important because the White House wanted you to know it was important when they hired her. She's the first gay black press press secretary. They didn't read her qualifications to you. They, they didn't tell you where she graduated from. They didn't tell you what her grades were. They didn't tell you what her merit was. They said that she's gay and she's black and she's in. Okay, super. Dynamite. Just as long as we're all on the same page. Same reason Kamala Harris is the uh, vice president, because she's a black female or some semblance of a black female, part Jamaican and part Indian, I think is what it is. Not African-American, but whatever. Same reason Ketanji Brown-Jackson is now on the Supreme Court, because Joe Biden said going to be a black female. Uh, Best person for the job? No, but the best person who looks the way I want somebody to look for the job. Oh, okay. Well... I'm bringing those things up because that was a focal focal point of yesterday's press briefing in, at the White House as KJPDH um, was asked a question by Bloomberg's Jordan Fabian about the search, search for a new Fed vice chair. And the question was, is do you believe that President Biden is going to um, uh, name a woman or a person of color to that job, simply because of his track record here of picking people based on what they look like rather than what their qualifications are, what their merit score would be, right? And Kareem Jean-Pierre Diversity Hire did more than just answer that question. She said, of course, he'll consider somebody uh, in, in, you know, of those identities. Remember, it's all about identity politics in the Democrat Marxist world. Uh, not only is he going to consider that, I mean, it should be highlighted what he has already done. Now, I want you to listen as she spends here about a minute and 10 seconds flexing the Biden administration's historic diversity. She, she speaks of these things as if these are accomplishments. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll discuss that on the other side. Listen. Uh, when it comes to diversity, you've heard this from the president. You've heard this from me. You've heard this from many of us here. Diversity and representation is... Re- I'm trying really hard, by the way, to ignore the pronunciation of the word diversity. Why she continues to say diversity, diversity, it's very diverse. There's not a long I in the word diversity. Diversity is not, it's not with a long I. It is, it is pronounced diversity, not diversity. I'm trying really hard to avoid it. Remember I told you I was an English teacher? Yeah, this is the kind of thing that just jumps out at me sometimes. But let's go back to the original point here. Uh, when it comes to diversity, you've heard this from the president. You've heard this from me. You've heard this from many of us here. Diversity and representation is really important uh, to this president. And, uh, and, you know, we are going to look at, the president's going to look at a highly diverse group group of world-class economists, uh, and just as we did for the previous Fed nomination, so we're going to continue that process. But I want to take the opportunity to, to lay out uh, what how diverse the President's Cabinet has been, how diverse the President's administration has been. Uh, the Cabinet is majority people of color for the first time in history. The Cabinet is majority female for the first time in history. A majority of White House senior staff identify as female. Forty percent of White House senior staff identify as part of the racially diverse communities. And a record seven assistants to the presidents are openly lgbtq plus so again this is something that the president prides himself on emphasis on the word pride there of course he prides himself on this and i want to the reason i wanted to play that for you and the reason i want to talk about that with you is because it all comes together now doesn't it 
For the first time in history, a presidential cabinet is majority people of color. For the first time in history, a presidential cabinet is a majority uh, female, A depending on what you define female as, of course. For the first time in history, uh, a presidential cabinet is uh, uh, majority people who identify in the racial, how did she say that, the racial spectrum or something The president's like cabinet has been, how diverse the president's administration has been. Uh, the cabinet is majority people of color for the first time in history. Okay, so POC first. and The cabinet is majority female for the first time in history. Depending on what you call a female. History, a majority of White House senior staff identify as female. Okay, identify as female. Aha! Which is, of course, where you get into Richard Levine. Forty percent of White House senior staff identify as part of the racially diverse communities. Racially diverse community. That's how she worded that one. Okay, racially diverse communities. And then go on. And a record seven assistants to the presidents are openly LGBTQ+. So Okay, so she's flexing all of this diversity, and it just brings it all together. Now we have the answer. We have the answer that many of us have suspected from, you know, from, from the beginning, but, but now we really have the answer as to why and how this president is so spectacular in his failure at running this country. This is without question the worst president, and yes, that includes Barack Obama, the worst president it's certainly of my lifetime, and I guess I would have to go back and do a little bit more presidential histor- historical research uh, to say of all time, but certainly of my lifetime. And now we know and have a much better grasp of why that is. Because he has surrounded himself at the cabinet level and at the senior staff advisory level, just explained by KJPDH. He has surrounded himself not with the smartest, most qualified, highest level of merit in their particular chosen fields on his staff, he has surrounded himself by a rainbow. It's all about color and identity. In, in other words, it's, it's all about what you look like, not what is in your head. What you look like, not what your experience is. What you look like and what you identify as, not what your actual um, core of ideas is. What, what merit and qualifications you bring to the job. We have, right now, and are enduring the worst presidency of our lifetimes on a thousand different metrics. And we have KJPDH bragging about how important it is to President Biden to make sure that it's the most diverse cabinet and most diverse senior White House staff ever. Exactly. If he focused on what should be most important for the American people, which is the best people for the job, regardless of color, sexual orientation, identity, membership in marginalized groups, if he focused on who's the best, because that's what the constituents deserve, that's what the people deserve, we might be in a little bit of a better place right now. But instead, he's got a whole bunch of yes men and yes women and yes unknowns, because I don't know what to call some of these uh, some of these people. Um, he's got a whole bunch of yes people just saying, hey, thanks for the diverse uh, crowd here. I'm glad I'm I'm a part of this. Um, I have no clue what to do with what's going on out there. I have no idea what to do uh, with what's what's afflicting the American people right now, the many challenges, the myriad of challenges that they are dealing with. But, hey, at least we're diverse. Thank you, KJPDH, 
for underscoring the problem for us. Now we have a firmer grasp. Now it comes together. He's not just a horrible president because he's dementia-ridden and stupid and leftist and Marxist, but he has surrounded himself with a whole bunch of people who are incapable of steering him back on the right track because they aren't good. They are not smart. They are not qualified, but they just look exactly right. I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the assist there, KJPD. E.H., we'll be back. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. 937, we continue on AM 1420, the answer. Always right radio. Thanks for being with us. I welcome you to join us at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either one of those will get you to us. We have... Uh, uh, a lot to talk about on a free-for-all Friday. I've kind of laid out the things that are the most important, uh, uh, of most importance to me, but obviously that's what free-for-all is. What's most important to you? What is it that you want to discuss? 216-901-0945. Obviously, uh, we can go into a lot of different directions. Uh, I want to go to the phones. Uh, I want to start out in, uh, Cleveland, and that's where AC is waiting on AM 1420, the answer. AC, good morning. Hello, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Bob, you had on uh, Dr. Piper yesterday, and I want to add on to Dr. Piper's comments about the Asbury so-called revival. Yeah. Okay? There's a number of things wrong with the picture of the so-called revival in Asbury. And I've heard a pastor rushing after this, calling it a move of God, but Jesus told us in John 7, verse 24, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And, and your guest pointed out the student who, who repented and so-called got this thing started had an anti-white, white, white privilege statement on his website. The pastor. And the question, what's that? The pastor, you mean? Uh, I thought it was This wasn't a student. No, no. The, the, the pastor apparently gave a very um, impassioned um, uh, sermon about those things. Um, oh, okay. Because uh, this wasn't started by an individual student. Um, this was, this was, you know, obviously a bunch of students. But the question is: is were they there, and did, was the entire thing started? This is what Doctor Piper was asking. Don't know the answer. He admitted that. Okay. Was were they there out of um, the spirit of their faith to repent their sins to Jesus, their right. actual sins to Jesus, or were they there to repent? What they believe to be the sin, their sins against their fellow man, in terms right. of I have white privilege and others do not, and I feel bad about that, and I've I've sinned against other people because of you know uh, uh, you know not giving that which I have to others, giving you know to less fortunate and so on and so forth. In other words, were they were they repenting um, their their own actual sins against God, or were they there to repent because of social justice? And that's right. what made it maybe, perhaps, at least in Dr. Piper's questioning, he wasn't offering answers. He said it, it, it kind of makes you question whether or not um, right. there, there, it was a true revival or if it was more of a, you know, a modern-day wokeness uh, um, event that they were using to, um, uh, you know, that they were using the church, obviously, to promote. Okay, yeah, I thought it was a I thought it was a student, but okay, a true revival such as the Great Awakening of the mid 1700s always included the preaching of soul saving doctrine. 
And this is noticeably absent from the Asbury scenario. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45, I'm going to read all the, all the wording here, but Jesus told us about an unclean spirit going out of a man, and the spirit comes back to find his former dwelling in that man, empty, swept, and garnished. Well, the man never fills it with anything. So the spirit comes back, and he takes seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So like you're saying, we need to define what they repented of, because that's unclear. Well, you're right. It is unclear. And thank you for the call, AC. I appreciate it. And, and look, I, you know, I, I'm not going as deep into it uh, as, as, as quoting Scripture. Uh, the wrong place for that is, you know, that's, that's 1220. Uh, that's not, that's not here. That's obviously not to say we are not biblical or, 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 uh, Christian or Judeo Christian or whatever and, and faithful and support those things. Here we do. But I mean, I'm just, I'm not going to get into the discussions of scripture and what it meant because that's not what I'm qualified to do. Uh, Pastor Ernie is and a whole lot of other people are, but not me. So I'm not going to do that. What I will do, though, just for the sake of clarity for what AC just asked, is I'll read to you a little bit of what Dr. Piper wrote about this, which ties into what he said about this. And and if you don't know about the Asbury Revival right now, I apologize. We're, we're assuming everybody does. The little tiny um, Asbury Christ, uh, College, it's a Christian college in uh, in Kentucky, and uh, it, it basically had a two-week, 24-7 uh, uh, revival going on, tw- tw- literally around the clock, 24-7. Thousands of people just kind of coming from all over to sing and, and to praise and so on, which sounds glorious. It sounds absolutely glorious. But then the question becomes, wait a minute, what were they drawn to there? Uh, 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 wanting to, to praise God and praise Jesus, or were they there out of some woke responsibility? And here's what Dr. Piper wrote about this. My questions stem from the first post I saw on the revival, i.e., it's getting wider and deeper. What does that mean? And then the subsequent queer Christian posts. These plus the white privilege positions of the pastor who preached the sermon that spurred all this causes me to ask my repeated questions. What sins are students repenting of? And which Jesus are they confessing? Which Jesus is it that they're confessing? Are they repenting of their intolerance, unconscious bias, and systemic privileges? Or are they repenting of their worship of the false gods of LGBTQ, CRT, SJW, BLM, Gnosticism, and Gaia? The reluctance of folks to answer these pretty basic questions really causes my discernment alarm to go off. My reservations may be wrong, but I don't think my questions are. Why hasn't one person, just one, reassured me that no one at this revival is repenting of their white privilege or their unconscious bias or their homophobia or their overbearing carbon footprint. No one will acknowledge that these false religious views could indeed, at least in part, be fueling this revival. I hope and pray they're not. But why are folks so quick to shoot the messenger for simply asking the question? Something to think about. And I think it's fair. I think it's a very fair question. He went on to say, I think revival is the most prostituted word that we have in our vocabulary today. Revival stops the traffic. As dear Dr. Tozer used to say, Len, when revival comes, it changes the moral climate of the community. As a guy who's been a staunch West, uh, excuse me, who's been a Wesleyan 
uh, much of my Christian life, I can vouch for the fact that there are theological flaws endemic to the denomination that lend themselves to hyper-emotionalism and groupthink. Does this denomination rush to play the Holy Spirit trump card in an effort to manipulate and control? So there you go. That's it. That's what he was wondering, and I, there's a very fair uh, you know, that's a very fair question to ask. Now, I have not asked those questions. I didn't even really realize about the sermon of the pastor until yesterday, um, or uh, maybe maybe Wednesday. But then, of course, we had Dr. Piper on yesterday to discuss it in depth. I didn't even realize that this was a thing, that the you know sermon was given by a pastor who is extremely, quote-unquote, woke, who is making people feel bad for their, suppre- for their, um, their privilege, uh, making them feel bad for again, you know, emitting carbon, making them feel bad for, uh, you know, having uh, better opportunities that perhaps other people who don't look or come from the same background as they do, and all of these things. Because if the idea is to shame people into praying or shame people into repenting of things that they are not guilty, well, that's a problem. That's not a revival. That's not a return to Christ. That's not a celebration or glorification of Christ. That's uh, that's just that's insane, is what it is. Making people repent for sins that they themselves have not committed because of where they were born or how they were born is just ridiculous. Pray for others, sure. Don't 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 you know uh, lash yourself for something that you did not intentionally do or that you did not uh, have any role in. I just I think it's a very fair point because that would completely bastardize the idea of the twenty four seven revival. Um, Sally's in Berea next on AM fourteen twenty. The answer, Sally, go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Concerning whether it was appropriate for a parent or concerned resident to present and expose what is being taught and consumed by students even before high school, if it is offensive to adults to hear it, that's too darn bad. Common sense would dictate that it is criminal for young students to see or hear those materials. Instead of threatening to ban a parent from a public school board meeting, he should have been given a medal for quoting what he discovered in a library book and a pledge made to have it removed. It doesn't take a child psychologist to know it could be harmful to formative young minds. Historically and morally, parents are responsible to train up a child in the way they should go. So it's past time for taxpayers who fund the schools to take an active role in reviewing curriculums and instruction materials. It will be an arduous task, but our future depends on it. And well, for those elite members of teachers' unions who have a master's degree, I do also in the area of counseling, which I think some of them could use. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, Sally. I appreciate it. For those who don't know what she's talking about, we had Jonathan Broadbent on earlier this week about um, just a travesty in the Berea schools, which is kind of being re- replicated in a lot of schools, not only all over Ohio, but all over the country. And we're talking about inappropriate pornographic style materials uh, that are being made in the interest of inclusion and diversity of people in the LGBTQ uh, uh, organizations, which, quite frankly, are over-sexualized. That's literally what it's all about. It's about sexual attraction and sexual identity and sexual ex- uh, 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 expression. And so it's overly sexualized. And I'll give you a, a, a little bit of good news, by the way. Um, I, I'm starting to see more stories like this. I'm starting to see more stories of triumph over these types of um, arguments and these issues of putting 
pornographic materials available for students in primary school and middle school, much less high school, as long as it's gay pornographic materials or it's trans pornographic materials or it's some other oddity of pornographic materials. Those types of uh, deviant Deviant, of course, is not intended to be a slur or a pejorative. Deviant just means it deviates from the norm. It's not normal. It's not heterosexual, which, of course, is normal in all of uh, uh, mammalian biology. But um, deviant sex pornographic materials is allowed in those schools where, of course, um, heterosexual and straight pornographic materials would, of course, never be allowed. And they never, they never have been allowed. So it's a matter of appropriateness. Well, here's the update that I wanted to give you that I feel like there's a bit of a shift going on here. I'm starting to see more and more stories like this. Cindy Martin, a chairwoman of a grassroots parental rights group called the Mama Bears, won a federal First Amendment case against their school district after exposing highly sexualized pornographic books. Um... Uh, to students. It's an incredible experience as a mom to experience the First Amendment play out. So for any citizen, I feel like it was just an incredible experience to start to understand what was right and what our rights were. Forsyth County School District earlier this month was forced in federal court to pay over $100,000 in legal fees after they banned moms, Allison Hare and Cindy Martin, from exposing pornographic material at the school board meetings. So this is every bit what we were talking about in Berea, every bit what we have been talking about in many other school district meetings, where parents are coming in and saying, is this appropriate? And they'll read or they'll play the audiobook version of some of the graphic content. And, of course, everybody is clutching their pearls in the school board, meaning, oh, oh turn that off. Oh, stop, stop, stop. You can't talk like that. If you say those things, we're never going to let you speak here again. Well, wait a minute. Why? Well, because they're profane and graphic and they're inappropriate. Well, yeah, we agree. So why are you exposing our 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15-year-olds to them? In fact, younger than that. That's why Florida had to have the uh, uh, the uh, legislation that they passed that the left erroneously called Don't Say Gay Bill. But it was a bill that stopped teachers at the primary levels, the pre, pre-K and then the K-1, 2, 3, uh, first, second, third grade levels, from discussing sexuality and sexual orientation and sexual expression and sexual identity with really little kids, because those kids were being exposed to it, too. So they kicked these uh, moms out. The moms sued is the bottom line here, and the federal court decision was they won. They were wrong to be expelled. They were wrong to be told they could not speak, and the $100,000 that the district had to pay uh, to these moms um, is probably a drop in the bucket in terms of what they have, but it's a very, very important decision because of the precedent that it can set. The reality of it is we have the right to have a say in what types of Materials our children are exposed to in schools, not necessarily on content of math class or physics labs or biology or or or, or literature. Well, well, some literature. Obviously, this is kind of what we're talking about. If the literature includes pornographic and overtly sexualized uh, discussions and how tos for young non traditional sexual uh, beings, but you know we're talking about the right and the freedom for the parents to have a say in what is appropriate and what is not for kids in schools. 
The Mama Bears formed in the fall of 2021 to protest pornographic books in those, that school district, speaking out at board meetings and organizing other concerned parents. One of the books they spoke out against was called Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. It was about a nine-year-old boy whose father was killed in the 9-11 attacks. That's interesting. I don't know much about it. Other books they've protested include A Court of Mist and Fury, What Girls Are Made Of, and Oryx and Crake. Um, last February, Mama Bear member Allison Hare read pages from the Extremely Loud, Incredibly Close. It was available at her son's middle school library. And wow, how about this? I wouldn't have guessed this. But there's a line here that I will not read on the radio that will explain why they wanted it banned. Because it literally describes a sexual act, uh, an oral sexual act, and how it's done. What, what that has to do with the book title, I don't know, but I'm just telling you what the line says. I won't read it to you. But you understand the point here. Moms and dads are stepping up, and they're stepping in. And that's why last year, one of the biggest stories we had of the year, and which continues and should be continue to be a story, is when the National School Board Association petitioned the Biden administration to go to the Justice Department and have the Justice Department declare these parents who are sticking their nose in the teachers' union's left-wing business um, to declare them as potential terrorists, to harass them, to look into their, their finances, do whatever you have to do to intimidate these parents into staying the hell away from our school board meetings so that they can't have a say in what we teach their kids and what we expose their kids to. That's what this was all about. So this federal case, just wanted to throw that up there as a response to Sally. This federal case, very, very important, very, very glad to see this, and I think there are more and more more of those that are coming. We're getting more and more good results as people come to realize that there is an appropriate appropriateness uh, concern here on what kids are allowed to see in their schools and in their libraries. 954, Always Right Radio, right back. Nine fifty-seven now. Always right. Radio on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. It's a free for all Friday. I do have Christina Hagen coming up at ten thirty-five. So for the next uh, thirty plus minutes, we do have plenty of opportunities for you. What do you want to talk about? What questions do you want to ask? We've had a lot of great interviews this week. We have had a lot of really, really great interviews this week, including Robert, uh, Dr. Robert Malone, um, Peter Kersenow. Uh, if you've got uh, Jim Jordan, if you've got uh, comments, questions about those things, again, this is the time to do it on a free for all Friday. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five and triple eight two eight one eleven ten. Let's go to Lisa Woods, who is in Medina with Medina County Friends and Neighbors. Hey, Lisa. Hey, good morning. Good morning. What's up? So good to hear um, so much talk about education. You know, it takes me back to 2016 when Sarah Fowler was kind of like the only conservative on the board, and she was like blazing the trail like an explorer with a machete, <laughs> exposing this stuff to us, and almost no one knew. Almost no one knew. You're right. And now we've ran up good description, up to by the way. <laughs> right? I mean, she is just an incredible leader and uh, an amazing godly woman, and I'm so glad she's still you know, now uh, blazing trails in the house. Absolutely, but, yep. But also known as Sarah Fowler Arthur now, because she's married. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And she wasn't, she wasn't the only one on the board, by the way, helping to uh, expose a lot of that stuff. I know somebody else named Lisa who was a big part of that, too. Uh, well, she was there two years before, well, got more than two years before me, I think. But, yeah, thank you, thank you. And, and also, um, 
my guest speaker for this Saturday, her aunt was also on the State Board of Education. That was uh, Kathleen McGurvey, was also an amazing um, conservative on the board. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. So, so your guest, so so your guest me, speaker for tomorrow is? Yes, uh, Sarah McGurvey, who is go. our uh, newer um, Right to Life of Northeast Ohio um, person, and she'll, she'll be speaking at 9 o'clock. At nine o'clock uh, tomorrow at the Thirsty Cowboy, um, she has professional experience in teaching Catholic schools at the elementary, middle school, high school levels. Um, part of an extended family that has been involved in the pro-life mission for decades, and we're really excited to hear her story and what they're doing now, and uh, invite the uh, the pro-life community, and and also, of course, as always, we want people on the fence. You know, people that uh, you know maybe have not made up their mind, and you know, let us let us speak to them. Yeah, and you know what? It's so important right now, too, because, and thank you very much, Lisa, for the call, and I hope it's a great event tomorrow, um, because there are pro-choice uh, groups, the pro-death groups, if you will, that are all gathering right now to put a number of, if not just one, but maybe a number of pro-death um, ballot measures on the uh, on the uh, ballot in um, uh, in November. Because, of course, now that Roe versus Wade is canceled or gone, it's up to the states to decide what to do. And when we didn't get the 60% to change the Ohio Constitution Amendment because of the uh, speaker steal of 2023, um, now it's wide open. Now it's wide open. All it takes is 50% plus one, and there very well may be a strong, strong chance uh, that they are going to legalize uh, abortion up until the moment of birth in this state by a simple constitutional amendment, and all they need is 50% plus one. So, yeah, you need to reach everybody. If they're on the fence, not just pro-lifers, but we got to convince some other people. That's how important this is. Uh, Lisa, thank you. It's 10.01. Let's get news. We'll come back and take more calls on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it is 10 minutes after 10 o'clock, and we move onward into hour number two now. Coming up in a half an hour, we'll talk to Christina Hagen. It's the 24th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. It's a Lenten Friday, too, so keep that in mind when you are choosing your meals today. So I want to just brief follow on the KJPDH story that I shared before. Um, I want to know why they think it's so important to choose appearance over qualifications at the highest levels of government when no one at far less impactful uh, companies, positions, would ever make such a foolish, foolish, foolish mistake. What I mean is when you hear KJPDH, that's Kareem Jean-Pierre, diversity hire, if you don't know, when you hear her doing that flex that I played for you in the first hour, and I'll play it again now for anybody who missed it, you have to ask yourself, why is she flexing that? Why is she celebrating that? Why is she bragging about that? Why is this something that she thinks is a positive thing? That the presidential administration, 
that the cabinet that advises, counsels, and sets policy for the most powerful man in the most powerful position in all of the free world, that that cabinet is comprised of not the best of the best, but comprised of people that have a certain look, a certain color, certain skin tone, certain identification, certain sexual orientation, certain desires. Why on earth, when we're talking about presidential cabinet-level positions and senior White House advisors, why are they celebrating the fact that they didn't choose the best people for the jobs, but they chose the people that made it look like some sort of a, a, I don't know, montage of all of the different identities and races in the country? Who would who who would possibly think this is a good thing? When it comes to diversity, you've heard this from the president. You've heard this from me. You've heard this from many of us here. Diversity and representation is really important uh, to this president. And uh, and you know we are going to look at the president's going to look at a highly diverse group group of world class economists, uh, and just as we did for the previous Fed nomination. So we're going to continue that process. But I want to take the opportunity to to lay out uh, what how diverse the president's cabinet has been, how diverse the president's administration has been. Uh, the cabinet is majority people of color for the first time in history. The cabinet is majority female for the first time in history. A majority of White House senior staff identify as female. Forty percent of White House senior staff identify as part of the racially diverse communities. And a record seven assistants to the presidents are openly LGBTQ+. So again, this is something that the president prides himself on. I want to know how she thinks that's a really good thing to announce. Because let's talk about what I just said. There is nothing about a professional football team or professional basketball team or a professional baseball team that is as important as the leadership of the free world. Right? We'd agree. A lot of money involved. A lot of entertainment to football, baseball, and basketball teams. But they don't do anything that's more important than leading and establishing policy, protecting, providing opportunity for the people of this country. Yet, professional football, baseball, and basketball teams would never in a billion years say the way to put the best team on the field that we can put on the field would be to make our team look like some sort of ratio of the population. It would it would be foolish for us to try to make sure that our team represented or reflected the various demographics, racial, sexual, and otherwise, of the population just so that we can be all-inclusive, D-I-E. And by the way, Charlie, my politically correct mechanic friend, uh, pointed out why she says diversity the way she does <laughs> instead of diversity. There's no long eye in diversity. She's just, she's really one of the stupidest people I've ever heard at a public podium. But it's not just, uh, it's not just an accident. He's uh, suggesting as uh, Charlie that first of all, it's DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity, which spells die. And second of all, because of the policies that they use, such as, uh, the Amazon uh, plane that crashed with a pilot that was absolutely unqualified. 
unqualified, but he looked the right way, so they let him fly it and crash the plane. Yeah, people die when you embrace diversity, as they like to call it, over uh, merit and over qualifications and over ability. So back to the point. There's no general manager of any baseball team that would ever say, all right, it's more important for us to be reflective of the societal demographics than it is to pick the best pitchers, hitters, and fielders that we can find. So in keeping with the American, um, the American uh, demographics, according to the census and, and, and according to surveys, we're going to keep our baseball team that way, and 70% of our baseball team will be white because there's 70% of the population is white. 18% of our baseball roster will be Latino or Hispanic. Well, but wait a minute. Right now, three-quarters of our team are Latino or Hispanic. Doesn't matter. But they're better. Doesn't matter. We've, we've got to have the right look. We've got to have the right balance. 13% of our roster will be black. Because there's 13% of the population that's black. Less than 2%, but it would involve at least one player on the roster, would be trans. 50% of the roster will have to be female. 50% of the pitchers, 50% of the outfielders, 50% of the infielders, 50% of the designated hitters, 50% of the coaching staff will have to be female. Because it's more important to have the most diverse team when you're trying to compete and win at baseball than it is to pick the best players. How do we know this to be true? Because look what they're doing at the White House. They're literally saying that it's more important to have all of these diverse demographics represented at the highest levels of government, the cabinet-level positions that advise the president on everything has been chosen up according to what their race is, what their sexual appetites are, who they like to sleep with, what they identify as what color their skin is. And they did indeed identify a difference between race and POC, people of color. If if a baseball team, a football team, a basketball team would never be so stupid as to say the best we can put out there would be to be the most diverse. How many many games do you think that baseball team would win, the one I just described? 70% white, 18% Latino or Hispanic, 13% black, 50% female, 2% or 1% trans, how how successful do you think that franchise would be? How many games do you think they'd win in a 162-game season? Yeah, I'm kind of probably in the same ballpark as you here. They wouldn't succeed. And the reason they wouldn't succeed is because you can't choose people based on what they look like if you want to be successful. You have to choose people based on their qualifications for the job. You have to choose people based on their merit, on their ability to serve, their ability to provide results, to get production. That's why how you choose people to be successful. The same thing would be true in corporate America. I don't care how woke a corporation is. I don't care how committed they are to DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity. There is no way they would ever say, we need to represent 
the population the same way the White House is. We're not going to pick the best executive. We're not going to pick the best graphic designer. We're not going to pick the best um, uh, uh, information tech, uh, technology uh, uh, professional. We're not going to choose the best um, artists. We're not going to choose the best uh, architects for our buildings. We're going to make sure that our architecture, our architectural firm is comprised of a significant amount of, to represent the population, of course, to reflect the population of white, black, gay, straight, uh, Latino, POC, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're not going to choose the best ones. And let's just hope that the angles on the buildings are exactly right so that we don't have collapses killing thousands of people. I talked about it yesterday in terms of, uh, of, the, of the, the, the pilot. We had a caller yesterday who brought it up. I took that into uh, medicine. Because there's a new CNN story that they're doing about how experts, quote-unquote experts, whoever they may be, are declaring that the lack of black doctors in the medical field is a significant public health threat. So they need to have more black doctors. Well, how are they going to do that? Are they going to choose the best of the best to come into medical school? Or are they going to turn away Asians or whites or Latinos or any other ethnicities in favor of blacks? Because we need more blacks in medical school because it's a health uh, necessity to have more black doctors regardless as to whether or not that particular black medical school applicant is qualified we're going to turn away a more qualified member of a different race or ethnicity in order to gain more of a particular look and then we're going to turn them loose on the population of patients and say go go to it would you want to go to an affirmative affirmative action doctor would you want to go to a white doctor who is not as qualified as an Asian doctor? Hypothetically speaking. But that white medical student was admitted to medical school and was able to finish medical school with lower standards because we need more white doctors than we do Asian doctors or Indian doctors from India. Would you want to go to that lesser qualified, lower standard accepted doctor to diagnose you and treat you for your illness, your injury, or your disease? Or would you want the very best? I kind of think I'd want the very best. I wouldn't want an underqualified white doctor. And I sure as hell would not want an underqualified black doctor. And I sure as hell wouldn't want an underqualified you know, European, I don't care where you come from or what you look like. I want the most qualified doctors. I want the most qualified people in medical school, not the ones that fit the color profile, not the ones that fit the rainbow. I want the best of the best when it comes to my life. I want the best of the best in that cockpit as they fly me from here to there. I want the best of the best in the in the uh, uh, driver's seat of the plane of the uh, train. Rather, I want the very very best uh, um, conductor. Because he's going to ride that thing on those rails past my house. Yes, that's a nod to East Palestine. I want the very best of the best to be in that operating room. I want the very, very best of the best to be in that lab. I want the very best of the best to be in that examination room diagnosing me. And I'm sick and tired of suggesting that we should put aside the best of the best and the merit and the qualifications in favor of what somebody looks like because it makes us feel good. Because Joe Biden takes great pride in out. that. Uh, what, how diverse the president's cabinet has been, how diverse the president's administration has been. Uh, the cabinet is majority people of color for the first time in history. Are they the majority people of merit? 
The cabinet is a majority female for the first time in history. Are they the majority of the people of qualifications? A majority of White House senior staff identify as female. Are they the majority of the senior staff who are, who, who represent uh, the most highly uh, capable of doing this job and providing good advice to the president? Forty percent of White House senior staff identify as part of the racially diverse community. Do they identify as part of the most intelligent community? And a record seven assistants to the presidents are openly LGBTQ+. So, again, this is something that the president prides himself on. I think the point is clear. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. I'll be back. Ten twenty six. Dan is in Middleburg Heights on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Hello, Dan. Go right ahead, sir. Uh, good morning. It wasn't my topic, but your last uh, topic you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. You want to destroy a country and a culture like the United States? That's how you do it. You hire mm-hmm. a bunch of you hire a bunch of gay people walking out of a bar the first ten and. You got what you got right now. That's what we're looking at. That's the yeah. fact. Well, and, and to be specific, by the way, I don't want to make that sound like it's just about. I understand. But yeah, but but yeah, by 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 choosing identity politics as a way of hiring people in the most important positions in the government, for crying out loud, you right. are indeed destroying a country. You're that destroying it right before your eyes. Yes, sir. Uh, can I comment? You you made a comment on the Ohio Constitution. We we got it now. Where they're going to change that with fifty percent? Right? Is that correct? Well, you can already do that. There was a, there was an amendment oh. that we were supposed to have on for this May right. that would have required sixty percent passage well, uh, to amend the Constitution, and uh, we can't. I'm a founding fathers constitutional guy, okay, and mm-hmm. and you, you cannot when you don't have everybody voting. We're not a democracy. We're a representative republic, mm-hmm. and the founders knew, and and we know, especially in Ohio, you don't have everybody voting. The highest that people vote is twenty nine, thirty percent of possible voters. So. You never end up with 50% if you're going to change that constitution. You can't do that. It's only like, even if you have 50%, it's only really 25% of possible voters. So you, you can't go around doing that. You'll destroy the state. That's why we, meaning myself and a whole bunch of others uh, in, in Columbus, in the State House, wanted, and in the Senate too, wanted to raise it to 60% to make that threshold right. higher because the uh, pro abortion groups are going to go out there. They're motivated and they're fired up. They think that if they don't do something like this, that there's going to be, uh, you know, abortion is going to be banned completely from conception. Well, and so they're willing to go to the extreme and put something that is extreme on the ballot to stop that, and at 50%, they'll get it. They'll get. They'll, too, they'll very easily get it. That's too easy. You can't change the federal constitution. You need 75% of the states agreeing. Correct. Not people, Correct. the states, yep. as sovereign entities. Yep, you're exactly right. And that's now, why, you know, it's supposed to be a lot harder to change the constitution. And uh, and well, that's what this bill would have done, and, and we didn't get it. And the reason we didn't get it, Dan, and thanks for the call. i got to get some other people here. The reason we didn't get it, of course, is because of the st- speaker steal. The Republican Party shot itself in the foot with Jason Stevens and his cabal of 22 uh, trans Dems essentially eliminated our chance to get that thing on the ballot in May and to make it 60%. So now we're in trouble come November. Um, Wayne is in Cleveland. Hi, Wayne. You're on the air. Go ahead, sir. How you doing? Good, sir. What's on your mind? Yes, diversity. The first, um, the first people to bring it in were politicians into their profession, especially the Democrat Party. And the second was the media, especially the mainstream media. 
Well, you're not wrong. That is who pushes most of these things. And and thank you for the call, sir. Uh, that is exactly right. And then they, you know, uh, and, and they have a very, very solid plan, by the way, when they do this. It's like Biden trying to pass the Equality Act. They put the best-sounding names in front of these things. And who could possibly oppose equality? Let's pass the Equality Act. Who could possibly oppose reducing inflation? So let's call it the Inflation Reduction Act. And we, who can possibly oppose diversity? Diversity is a good thing. Let's make sure we push diversity. They put the right labels on these things, and then they crush anybody, call them bigots and intolerant uh, phobes, if you will, for anybody who opposes these things. So they're very, very good at it, and it is very, very dangerous. Thank you, my friend. Uh, we'll take a time out here. We'll come back. We've got Christina Hagen waiting in the wings, too, on AM 1420, The Answer. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 1038 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks so much for being with us. I uh, want to welcome our regular Friday commentator under the program. When we're able to make our schedules align, she's a very busy woman, and she is about to be a mom again. She is, of course, former Ohio State representative, current Ohio Elections Board member, or commission member, rather, Christina Hagen. Christina, good morning. Good to have you back. How are you? Good morning, Bob. I am well. Uh, we're just excited for the arrival any day now of baby number four. Are we really um, that close? Yes, yeah, this baby, we're at 38 weeks, so anytime all my other kids were born at 37 weeks, so. I cannot believe it's we gone that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going through the process that you are, and your husband is with you, so uh, it probably doesn't feel like a blink of an eye to you over the course of, you know, eight and a half months, but I swear it was just like, you know, yesterday that you were telling me, guess what, I have an announcement, now that we can confirm it, it's maybe number four on the way. Wow, that went very, very fast, at least from the outside looking in, so congratulations ahead of time to you for baby number four. So, Christina, um, a lot of ground to cover here today, um, and I know you're interested in following up what happened and what is happening at East Palestine uh, because of the, uh, you know, the toxic uh, train crash and the decision by the governor to burn uh, the vinyl chloride rather than actually have them come out and clean it up. And that, of course, has sent, um, you know, it's had a whole lot of effects and ramifications. Toxic air, a lot of people uh, complaining of nausea, burning throats. Some people say they're coughing up blood. They're inhaling and ingesting these things. We got groundwater contaminated. We got soil contaminated. So um, President Trump did what President Biden won't do. And, and, and still hasn't done. He went to East Palestine to take a look for himself. I want you to listen to this. But we're going to find time uh, to come back if necessary. If they don't come back and give you the treatment that you need, we will be back. Uh, the Biden administration should ensure that every family has the option of moving and homes and everything else until this thing is straightened out. Uh, I do want to uh, especially thank some of the incredible people that uh, helped us because we're bringing thousands of bottle of water, Trump water, actually, most of it. Uh, some of it we had to go to a much lesser quality water. Well, there's Trump water, and then there's lesser quality water. But he brought, <laughs> but he brought new water to uh, the people there, and said, if uh, Biden won't do anything, then we'll come back and do what we can as well. 
I want to compare and contrast that, Christina Hagan, with Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary who didn't even speak on or acknowledge this disaster on the rails uh, for 11 days after it happened. Then it took over 20 days for him to actually go and have a look firsthand. And when he got there, one of the things he wanted to do was blame President Trump for it. Well, one thing he could do is uh, uh, express support for reversing the deregulation uh, that uh, happened on his watch. I heard him say he had nothing to do with it, even though it was in his administration. Uh, So if he had nothing to do with it, and uh, they did it in his administration against his will, uh, maybe he could come out and say that that, uh, he supports us moving in a different direction. So passing the buck, uh, blaming the previous administration, which is what most on the left are doing, how do you respond to that, Christina? Yeah, it's it's more of the same. You know, they've been in office for over two years, unwilling to own or even recognize people in their greatest moment of need. And I think, you know, it's not the pregnancy uh, that makes me teary-eyed about the presence of a president who cares about this country and putting our people first. I mean, President Biden is in Ukraine on the ground talking about Ukrainian flags flying all across America at the same time that they're stomping the American flag into the ground. And people in East Palestine, our neighbors in Northeast Ohio, are are hurting, are in fear of the future, don't know if they'll be able to live where they've lived their entire lives. You know, when this was all happening, um, my son, who has pretty intense and dramatic allergies, all I could think about was, you know, hey, the rain, the water, the, you know, anything and everything we're interacting with. And we have United States Senator coming um, as Pete Buttigieg, who hasn't even shown face, um, we've got United States Senator J.D. Vance coming and scraping, you know, the waterbed and showing mm-hmm. that there are dangerous and harmful chemicals rising to the surface. We've got sure. a former president who was never paid um, while on the job over the four years that he served us and put America first. He's making a way to be here and be present while these guys are worried about diversity um, and inclusion and promoting um, really seriously just devastating ideals and things that will destroy our culture as a whole. And we have people that have real issues. Um, They're blaming it on policies of Trump that were actually implemented under Obama. They're talking about breaks that wouldn't even have been on this particular train. Um, All they have are excuses. They never have solutions. And the worst part is they don't have heart. Um, So Pete Buttigieg, when he finally does show up, can't even communicate or look the people in the eye on the ground and speak to them with any earnest concern um, or recognition for what they're going through. I mean, this is a problem that they've ignored for nearly a month, the better part of a month, two, three weeks of saying nothing, and then to say that they're elevating policy over politics and their first move is to attack the former president for actually caring enough to be present just further exposes who they are. Um, Pete Buttigieg is far from qualified to do this job, and that becomes increasingly clear on a daily basis with continued disasters of this sort. And I mean, you think about Kamala Harris talking about the spy balloons um, and having really no any level of depth or understanding of what a serious, serious situation we're in. We're we're allowing the country to be ran by um, ideologues who care nothing about protecting um, our country and our territory and our people. And it's just really a bizarre time. Uh, to be bringing a child into the world, quite honestly. Well, you know what? I'm glad you said it that way, uh, Christina. We're talking to former Ohio State Rep, current Ohio Elections Commission Representative um, Christina Hay, or member uh, Christina Hagan. I'm glad you brought that up that way because I do want to return to your pregnancy now, just as the backdrop for this next question. This was um, 
this was very, very disturbing. We know that the battle over, you know, um, Roe versus Wade being overturned by the Supreme Court and now it being left to the states is a huge issue. We are trying to figure out what is going to happen in the state of Ohio now. The expectation is that there are a whole lot of left-wing pro-death groups who are going to try to put um, Ohio constitutional amendments on the ballot, uh, which they can easily pass with just a 50% majority of a very small turnout, potentially. And um, what they're going to do is try to legalize abortion all the way up until the moment of birth. Um they would look at you and ask you, how is your illness? How is your condition? Because they would see what you have as a need for what they call, quote, um, health care. Uh, and, and if you get your baby aborted, that would, of course, be just providing health care for you because you have a condition or you have a, you have a disease in you right now rather than a beautiful life. And that, that's the backdrop for this. Michael Hugo is the chairman of the Framingham Democratic Committee in Framingham, Massachusetts. He has been taking backlash for 10 days now, even from some members of his own party, for one of the more repugnant comments about abortion that I've heard in in a very, very long time, Christina. And he said, quote, our fear is that an unqualified sonographer misdiagnoses a heart defect, an organ defect, spina bifida, or encephalopathic defect that becomes a very local issue because our school budget will have to absorb the cost of a child in special education, supplying lots and lots of special services to children who were born with the defect, end quote. There's a word for what he's talking about. Um, that if this uh, sonographer misdiagnoses these things and allows the child to be born as opposed to recommending an abortion so that he isn't a strain on the budget of the school district, and that word is eugenics. Christina, I'll let you take it as a as a woman, but also particularly as a pregnant woman. How do you respond to him? Yeah, yeah, Bob, so I will... I'll take it from every angle. Um, as a pregnant woman who has just over the last few weeks achieved the highest point in my career so far, becoming an executive level of a national ministry, um, while in my final days of my um, third trimester of pregnancy with my fourth child, these people are absolutely disgusting. They have zero value for the sanctity and dignity of every human life that is created for um, a beautiful purpose uh, that they would love to snuff out because they have a pro-death agenda. Um, that pro-death agenda is riddled through all of education. It's not shocking or surprising to me that they wouldn't want to care enough about a child that looked or sounded different, although that's what they say they promote every day with diversity, equity, inclusion. The truth is um, that they have a very intentional agenda that has nothing to do with academics, has nothing to do with helping people reach new goals or reach new heights or advance our society or culture as a whole in a loving way that embraces all people. Um, if you don't fit their agenda, uh, they simply want you to be removed, and that starts in the womb. Um, we see this pro-death agenda being pushed on Ohio by radicals from all over the country. Um, they want us to be um, a capital for infanticide, just like California. It doesn't matter if the baby's walking out of the womb. Um, they don't have value. They don't want them. If they are a cost burden in their mindset, if it takes away from their uh, COVID relief budget, um, if it takes away from their diversity and inclusion budget and might focus on the education or advancement of a child with a special needs, well, why would we spend money on that? Um, it's just disgusting. Um, my best friend, fourth child, or third child, I apologize, 
out of four children happens to have severe autism. I've watched that child blossom and grow dramatically over the last several months of her experience here in Ohio's education system. And I think it's despicable that any elected leader could desire to take that away from a child before it's ever even awarded and worse, take away their potential, um, not their potential, their existing life to destroy them as a human being because they might be different than them. This type of discrimination happens every single day. I can't tell you how many countless parents have reported to me about the levels of discrimination that they faced, not only while their child was in the womb um, with a unique um, special needs or disability style situation, but then thereafter the fight that they had for the eugenics mentality within the medical system every day thereafter fighting for the services, fighting for the medical services necessary to support their child's life and being continually told that their child is incompatible with life. Um, what the reality is, these people are incompatible with compassion. They have no desire to see people as equals. They have every desire to create um, stereotypes and pockets of people that are not cared for, that are demonized and withdrawn from society. It is 100% eugenics. That's what the abortion industry and its followers have always been about, terminating people they view as inconvenient or um, less important. But this is the world we live in. We have to fight this cultural fight every single day. We have to continue to expose these monsters for who they are. And I'm thankful for every parent of special needs um, children that stepped up in that district. Again, I can't tell you how many moms and dads of children with trisomy or Down syndrome or just even, you know, unique scenarios uh, where they've had to share their fight and their battle with me to protect their child from industries and educational institutions that wanted them to be out of the system because they viewed them as a burden. And I feel for these people because they don't recognize when they become weak and feeble in their older age, they will be treated similarly um, by the eugenics mentality in this country. It won't be long till they're on the other end of the spectrum and they're cut off. Uh, for not providing value to society as those elitists who believe in the killing of innocent human beings see fit. Um, it's, it's crazy. It's where we are, and we have to fight every single day to show the dignity of these human beings. And I'm proud and blessed to be leading an organization that does exactly that, that shows women every single day the value of their child in utero, um, the value of them as an individual, what they can achieve, what they should achieve, and all of the services and support that exist for them. Because ever, if ever a government penny was actually expended for Americans, I think we'd be glad to see it serving those who actually exist in the safety net of which these services should have been designed to support. Wow. I'll tell you what, I could not have asked for better commentary and more personal, uh, a more personal analysis of the situation than that. This is, this is, you know, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to call it providence or providential or not, but, um, uh, it's wonderful that you were here to talk about that with your own experiences, particularly given your beautiful daughter and her autism and so forth. Uh, and, and I'm going to just wrap this conversation by reminding people of, um, you know, one of the most important things that we do when we talk about the abortion issue and try to save babies' lives, and that is working with Preborn, the Preborn Ministry. We still have the banner up on our page right now. Ultrasounds prevent abortions. That's what Preborn does. It gives us all an opportunity to save babies' lives. Over 85% of young women and girls who find themselves with an unplanned pregnancy who may be considering not having their baby, 
uh, once they see it on an abortion uh, ultrasound, or excuse me, on, a, on an ultrasound, beg your pardon, they choose against abortion. They choose life. Uh, they see their baby. They recognize this is not a health problem. This is a baby, and they give birth to their baby. So uh, if you want to go ahead and go to the webpage, whkradio.com, the banner near the top of the page says, Ultrasounds Prevent Abortions. Click it. Uh, donate twenty uh, $28 to save a baby's life. That's the cost of one ultrasound. If you can donate $140, it saves five babies' lives. It is so easy to do. Just go to that webpage and uh, help us support preborn, which is supporting uh, babies and expectant mothers who uh, may be in a difficult situation. Uh, Christina Hagen, we'll stop there. I did have another subject for you, but I don't want to. I don't even want to uh, talk past what you just gave us. Thank you for all of your terrific uh, testimony on that issue. We appreciate it very much. Um, I look forward. I don't know if the next time I talk to you, you will have baby number four and you'll be available or not. But I look forward to talking to you and celebrating uh, number four uh, when that time comes. All right, Bob. Thanks and God bless. God bless you. Thank you, Christina Hagen. All right, there you go. That's Christina. It's 1054. We'll take a time out right here on Always Right Radio and come right back. Okay, 1057. Appreciate you being with us on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Yeah, um, there was a great article in uh, the uh, Jack Windsor's uh, publication, the Ohio Press Network, about the abortion groups that are working very, very hard to combine their efforts. They're uniting um, to put abortion on the ballot. Um, Two pro-abortion groups unifying their continued fight against the constitutional rights of the unborn. Ohioans for Reproductive Freedom, which is a pro-death group, and Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights, another pro-death group, declared a joint effort to put an an initiative on the November 2023 ballot that would mandate legalized abortions in the state. The groups plan to submit paperwork to Attorney General Dave Yost this month. The language has been worked out with both groups for weeks and weeks at this point, said Selena Cumming, a spokesperson for Ohioans for Reproductive Freedom, a pro-death group, which is backed by the ACLU and Planned Parenthood, a pro-death provider. We are just dotting our I's and crossing our T's, waiting for the final round of polling to be completed and reviewed, but we are all set to go very, very soon. And what this is going to do is put a, uh, um, as you you heard, or as you I read, mandating legal abortions in the state. It, they cannot be banned. And they can word this however they want, including and up to the moment of birth the way they have in Minnesota and in several other very left-wing states. Now, this is very bizarre, of course, considering the fact that we are not a left-wing state. We are a red state by virtually every measure, at least when it comes to our election results. But because of the horrific, pathetic, repugnant trans-dems in the Ohio Republican House, led by Jason Stevens and his cabal of 22, the gang of 22, They have given power to the left wing in this red state. And because they don't have their 67-seat supermajority united, they don't get this on the ballot in May to stop the, to raise the uh, uh, threshold to 60% to pass a constitutional amendment in our state. Now it's a simple majority of 50% plus one, and the left knows they'll get it in November. 
So we're in a very, very desperate time at the moment as we try to protect pre-born lives. A lot of people call them unborn. I like the word pre-born better. It's just before. They're already alive. They're just not born yet. We can talk more about that as the uh, program goes on. It's 11 o'clock, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. We'll be back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three underway now, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. Good Friday morning to you. It's a Lenten Friday, of course. Hopefully you're keeping true to that today. I told you, if you're looking for a, a great fish ride tonight, head to Harry Buffalo. You're going to love that. 24th morning of the second month, year of our Lord, 2023. Thank you again to Christina Hagen for the very powerful messaging that she shared with us on the abortion issue, which, of course, is coming to a head uh, this year when it comes to a constitutional amendment being pushed by pro-death groups. We'll talk more about that as we go. Also, we're going to be talking about that a lot in the next uh, 12, 14 days because March 10th, and 11th uh, is the Cleveland Right to Life, Bringing America Back to Life Conference. Of course, I am uh, emceeing that, which will be for the fourth straight year, I want to say. Yeah, I think it'll be the fourth straight year that I've emceed that very important two-day uh, convention slash conference. And hopefully you're going to be a part of that. Make sure you check out bringingamericabacktolife.org for information there. Now, um, I want to I want to pivot here and uh, welcome our next guest to the program. This is a very important issue we have spent a bit of time talking about, but probably not enough yet. Joe Biden is trying very very hard to use uh, your money and mine to bankroll left wing agendas by way of ESG. And if you have not been paying attention to environment, social, and governance uh, regulation. Um, and the intent for the Biden administration to essentially um, put your retirement dollars to work for him and for left-wing causes, for climate causes, for social justice causes, and more, even if the companies that they invest your money in are not necessarily the best for you, well, you better be paying attention to this. Joining me now to talk about uh, exactly this is uh, Donovan O'Neill. He is uh, the president of AFP. That's Americans for Prosperity. One of our local leaders on this issue, Khalid Damar, sent me a message uh, yesterday and said, uh, we would love to talk. I'm sorry, state director, by the way, of AFP is what Donovan O'Neill is. Uh, but Khalid works with AFP as well. And he said, um, we're working very hard. AFP is working very, very hard to try to stop this and to stop the ESG and stop what Biden's agenda is. There has been a um, a Senate challenge. Uh, um, a bill has been proposed, actually, by a one-house member and one Senate member um, 
to stop uh, Biden's ESG rule, which politicizes your and my retirement accounts. So Donovan O'Neill joining us now from Americans for Prosperity to tell us what it all means. Donovan, thanks for the time this morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Bob. Really was excited to hear about my promotion uh, to president. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> thank you for having me on here today to, to talk about this this really uh, this really nasty piece uh, of uh, rulemaking that the, the Biden administration has put into place, uh, talking about ESGs and the, the risk it brings to some of our retirement accounts. Before we talk about, uh, Donovan, before we talk about the actual um, effect on our retirement accounts, let's just give everybody a little primer of what ESG is. Yeah, well, it's the, as you mentioned, it's the Environmental, Social, and Governance uh, Standards, the SCs. And, you know, traditionally when you're investing, you know, we have folks investing in retirement accounts and um, uh, take our money and kind of grow it for us. Uh, we want to be maximizing returns on that investment, right? But what these ESG standards begin to do is bring politics into the equation. Rather than, than just maximizing returns for for the money that, is, that that you're giving folks to manage and invest for you, through the ESGs, they're being directed to actually take a look at, at political persuasions and some of these other standards that have, have nothing to do with um, maximizing returns and, and growing those investments for retirement. It's it's purely politically driven, and uh, it, it, it's really unfortunate that it, it's gotten to this place where the, the, the president is, is weighing in and, and sort of beginning to force uh, 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 these kinds of investments, this kind of political activity. Yeah, completely agree. We're talking with uh, Donovan O'Neill, State Director of uh, Americans for Prosperity. Uh, sorry to give you a demotion after such a nice promotion, uh, but but let's let, let's talk about what the goal is here. What the, what is the goal of of the Biden administration and those who are pushing ESG? Obviously, they think that their ideological um, uh, interests are more important to people than their financial interests, and more important than their financial rewards as they try to you know save and 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 project a. Uh, you know, a nice um, later life retirement for themselves. They really seem to think that people are more interested in social concerns and social justice than they are their own financial well-being. Well, yeah, and, and you know, about eighty-five percent of the country doesn't even know what an ESG is, and so has very little to no awareness. Most Americans very little no awareness of what the financial risks might be as the retirement account managers are subjecting them to to this this this, this political behavior with their, their retirement funds. So, you know, what 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 we you know, folks have a right, right, to, to invest their money any way they fit. Um, but we, we believe that folks should be directing that, not having rulemaking coming out of Washington that is that is incentivizing or directing uh, retirement fund managers to be to be particular participating in this type of this type of activity. Um, it you know it, it's it's just un American. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. And so what is AFP doing now about this? Obviously, we want to talk about supporting legislation uh, that has been put forth to stop this, uh, to stop this ESG uh, uh, plan that is put in place. Tell us about that and tell us what AFP's goal is here. And how can concerned citizens, concerned Ohioans, be a part of your effort? Well, absolutely. Well, for those of your listeners who are familiar with Americans for Prosperity, they know that we're one of the nation's largest grassroots advocacy organizations. Um, I like to say we put a megaphone to the voices of, of, of Americans and give them an opportunity to be heard, both in Columbus and in Washington. And uh, so if folks want to learn more about this, you can visit americansforprosperity.org, americansforprosperity.org. You can read about the action we're asking folks to take. But, but in particular, we've launched a new campaign across a number of uh, uh, targeted congressional and Senate districts, among them Senator Sherrod Brown here in Ohio, 
to to tell them to to pass the Braun Bar uh, resolutions that would that would kick back the rulemaking that the Biden administration did through the Congressional Review Act and 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 rightly fix the wrong that the Biden administration uh, uh, put into place uh, not too long ago. The Braun Bar resolution um, would completely repeal the rule. That's what we're asking. Yep, yep. So Congress has the ability to, through the Congressional Review Act, under the they can review and disapprove of rules issued uh, something like the last sixty days. So it's it's pretty timely. I think this rule was originally issued uh, back in late November last year. So we're we're getting up to the wire on this to have Congress take action and, and repeal uh, repeal the Biden rulemaking. Now, I'm looking at um, uh, the Braun uh, page on this, braun.senate.gov, and it says that, um, like you mentioned last year, all 50, let's see, all 50 Senate Republicans and Democrat Senator, this is, again, last year, and Democrat Senator Joe Manchin joined Braun for the introduction of this and Representative Annie Barr's putting the companion legislation in front of the House. Does that change now? Because it's uh, this year it's 5149, and I guess that's why you're going after Senate uh, Sherrod Brown and others. You're going to have to flip a Democrat over to this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, you know, here in Ohio, these ESG rules impact uh, manufacturing states like Ohio, right? They're designed to steer investments away from away from fossil fuels, away from manufacturing, away from uh, from industry that is, you know, viewed to to be harmful to so called harmful to the environment or or damaging, you know, uh, in terms of how it how how, how these businesses operate. Uh, you know, it it, it is it, it, Ohio has taken lumps since the 1970s, and you know, we need folks like Senator Sherrod Brown, who says he stands with with workers here in Ohio. To stand up against the Biden administration and these e- these progressive ESG rulemaking authorities that are going to continue to erode Ohio's uh, manufacturing uh, and American manufacturing independence. Have you gotten Donovan any uh, preliminary responses from uh, Brown's office? What are we What are we hearing? Yeah, I mean, we're we're you know, we're our, our activists are, are making their voices heard or sending the message in. You know, it, it takes a chorus of folks. It takes it takes a lot of pressure, right? Because uh, the, the, there's just as much pressure on the other side of this equation, uh, advocating for these kinds of these kinds of ESG standards. And so, um, you know, we've got we've got a lot of work to do. And just encourage your listeners, right? Visit AmericanProsperity.com. Sign the petition. Get that message out to your your, your congressman and, and in particular Senator Sherrod Brown. And uh, we'll keep working to make sure uh, make sure that voice is heard, and uh, ideally we overturn this rule. To clarify that, by the way, I think you may have misspoken. You meant dot org, right? It's AmericansForProsperity.org? Yes, sir. Thank okay. you. Yeah, just want to be sure. Uh, although, people, if you don't find it at one, check the other. You'll find it there. I'm quoting now. I'm quoting from your chief uh, government affairs officer, Brent Gardner. Millions of Americans have lost hard-earned savings in their retirement, account, retirement accounts over the past two years due to record high inflation and economic uncertainty. Yet, rather than allowing Americans to make their own decisions on how to catch up on their savings, the Biden administration's new regulation permits 401k managers to prioritize these underperforming ESG funds instead. Is there any kind of a measurable... Uh, you know, a metric that you can put on this, Donovan, uh, uh, to talk about how much money people can lose if we do not roll this back and repeal this, that if this consistent investment in these underperforming funds, how much are we talking about an average American losing? Well, you know, Bob, I don't have those numbers in front of me right now, but, but what I think is important here is the principle of, you know, Washington shouldn't be dictating how folks 
you know, Americans' retirement funds, hard-earned re- retirement funds, are being managed. Uh, that should be between the folks working and putting that money in there every two weeks for their retirement, and the 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 the, the, the money market managers right, we are directing those funds. Uh, top-down policies don't work. Governance through um, through 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 rulemaking out of the White House is not ideal when it comes to people's retirements. We've seen how the Biden administration has managed uh, this economy over the last few years with rising costs of inflation. Uh, just we don't want them touching our retirement. <laughs> No, and you know you're 100 percent right. Obviously, and there is a, there's a principle involved in it too. But again, I'm just trying to get a uh, a feel for how much damage it can do to people financially. And according to the letter that was sent uh, to Congress on February 7th, I don't have exact numbers in terms of dollars, but I have percentages. I want people to know we're talking about something significant here. Quoting the letter, by making risk return analysis subjective, the rule jeopardizes the retirement savings that millions of Americans rely on. One study found that global ESG funds have underperformed the broader market in the past five years, returning an average of 6.3% per year, compared with 8.9% for broader funds, end quote. So, you know, while we don't have exact dollars and what the average American, because of course every average American's account is different, that's a significant percentage when we are talking about investing over the, you know, in terms of the collective, you know, billions of dollars, uh, we're talking about 2.5% uh, or 2.6% less return on the ESG investments. Well, again, it just goes to show, right, out of you know, when Washington tries to direct these things or tries to influence uh, uh, political behavior through 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 managing um, uh, via ESGs and other kinds of standards like this, uh, it's not in the best interest of the of the folks making investments in the marketplace and trying to grow their retirement accounts. Yeah, and um, and and to again just kind of give people a a sense here of how important this is and what dollars we're looking at. The employee retirement, this is again as a part of the AFP letter, the Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974, which requires planned fiduciaries to act solely in the interest of the planned beneficiaries, not in the interest of any of the, uh, you know, cor- woke corporate ideologies uh, that, that some of these, or like you said, uh, turning away from investments in fossil fuels because they don't fit a particular ideology. Here's what we can say. Uh, ERISA, which is the what I just laid out, the Employer Retirement Income Security Act, covers an enormous amount of private benefit plans, and recent data shows that ERISA covers 747,000 retirement plans, 2.5 million health plans, 673,000 welfare benefit plans, and the plans cover 152 million Americans, and the covered pension plans hold $12 trillion in assets. So millions of retirees may unknowingly have their own savings sacrificed by fund managers concerned more with advancing that political or social agenda you and I are talking about than ensuring that hardworking Americans have enough money for retirement. That's, that's a staggering number, and that's the reason I wanted to get there. Twelve trillion dollars in assets are managed by this fund or, or the, uh, by, by, the, uh, by this act. And the idea that uh, that our hard-earned dollars we've saved through 30, 35 years of working could be put in jeopardy and we could be getting less benefits than we deserve in our retirement based on that ideology, uh, Donovan, is, um, it's, it's a slap in the face to every hard-working American. Well, absolutely. And what's interesting is under the Trump administration, um, you know, as, this, as these ESGs and, and some of this pressure was beginning to, beginning to build, the Trump administration came out and clearly said, you know, 
we need to be focusing these these investments on uh, the economic value of a particular investment or investment course of action, right? And in the Biden administration, so we know it's politically motivated, it's designed to, to accomplish public policy uh, preferences through uh, 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 hijacking our retirement accounts to these standards. The Trump administration said, rightly so, right? We're, you just go get returns on people's retirements. Let's not bring politics into the equation. But the, the Biden administration, through this, this rule, has just cast that to the side. Yeah, and that that's incredible, and it's it's just so brazen too. When we're talking about something this important, we're talking to Donovan O'Neill, State Director of Americans for Prosperity here in Ohio. So the mission for us is obviously, as we pointed out, go to americansforprosperity.org. We need to get messages to Sherrod Brown because we have to flip some Democrats or at least one or two Democrats in the Senate to support this. We've got to talk to our representatives on the House side as well because this needs to be done with significant support in order to stop uh, Joe Biden from vetoing it uh so beyond uh contacting our representation donovan anything else people need to know that they can do well i think the contacting representation is the is the most important thing um uh having your voice heard and that's what we do best here in america's prosperity is put a megaphone the voices of ohioans and americans who are frustrated about what's going on in washington and columbus and give them an opportunity to, to have their voice be heard well, let's do it. Uh, this is this is our mission now because uh, it is extraordinarily important. And if and I would also add this too: if you've got a financial planner that helps you with your retirement, if you've got a four hundred one k, or you know, even if you have an IRA, you might want to look into it and ask them: Are you investing any of my funds in ESG corporations, which are not uh, as high performing and also perhaps do not align with your values? Look into that as well. Donovan O'Neill, State Director, AFP Americans for Prosperity, Ohio. Thank you for bringing this to our attention. And we'll continue to remind our listeners and Ohio residents and citizens uh, to contact their reps so that we can try to get this uh, get this bill repealed. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Thank you, Donovan. Appreciate it. Uh, 1126, Always Right Radio, coming right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Okay, 1136, final segment of the hour, final segment of the broadcast. And now that I think about it, it's the final segment of the entire week. Really appreciate you being a part of the conversations today. There's one story uh, that I did not uh, get a chance to follow up on Um and uh, I wanted to do it with Christina Hagen. I don't know if you recall, if you heard the interview. If you missed the interview, by the way, with Christina, some powerful stuff um, with respect to abortion. And, you know, she's uh, she said she's just days away, potentially, from giving birth. Her other three children were born at around eight and a half months. She's around eight and a half now, so she could be any day now giving birth to her fourth child. Good luck and, and prayers and God's blessings to her and her family. Now, by the way, quick clarification on that, too, before I finish my thought there. Uh, she talked about um, uh, an autistic child, and I, I, I think I misheard her or misunderstood her one way or the other. And she sent me a note saying, the little girl with autism I was speaking about is my best, uh, my best friend's daughter, two months older than my daughter, Josephine. And she's actually named after me, the little girl's Audrey Christina, Christina which is beautiful. And, uh, and I told her I apologize for that, and she said, just don't want to take credit for their precious daughter. That mama works so hard daily. Um, 
she also loves preterm uh, and preborn and the work that they do. Uh, and then some. She's now, by the way, I didn't ask her about this. Is her new position? She's executive director of uh, of preterm. And uh, she. Let's see here. Love the preterm work and work they do. If you ever want to learn more about the ICU Mobile, another national pro life effort, that is the ministry she's now the executive director of. There you go. And uh, she's growing it and going to share us uh, all kinds of in- share with us all kinds of information about that. So good for you, Christina. At any rate, if you missed that interview, you should listen to it uh, uh, on the podcast page, which is at whkradio.com, which will be up, I don't know, about an hour or so after the show. But um, at the end of my interview with her, I said I did have one other subject I wanted to discuss with her, but I did not want to even try to follow up her very powerful comments on abortion and what it's, you know, what it means to um, uh, to protect babies, particularly the most defenseless of babies. You know, it, it's one thing we always say that in the abortion discussion, debate, national division, whatever. Um, we talk about just babies, unborn babies or preborn babies are the most uh, defenseless citizens among us. They are. Who's more defenseless than a preborn baby? And the answer is maybe a preborn baby that has special needs. Um, and that's why the story that I brought up with uh, with Christina was just so important and so powerful. Um, even Democrats are criticizing this Democrat leader, this this uh, uh, chairman of the Framingham, Massachusetts Democratic Committee for essentially advocating for eugenics, saying, you know, we need to abort these babies that have special needs, that are going to be born with special conditions, with any kind of defect, because if they have a defect, we're going to have to pay out of our school budget to, to care for these kids and to educate these kids. And it's going to cost a lot more than it would for just a regular kid. That quote I read to Christina, I'll read back to you. Our fear is that if an unqualified sonographer misdiagnoses a heart defect or an, in, or an organ defect or spina bifida or encephalopathic uh, defects, that, become, that becomes a very local issue because our school budget will have to absorb the cost of a child in special ed, supplying lots and lots of special services to children who are born with these defects, end quote, suggesting that if there's a defect, that child doesn't deserve life. Suggesting that if there's a cost factor here, the cost factor trumps the right to life. Um, He tried to apologize. It's not working. Even, again, people in his own party, which generally are pro-death, and I apologize if that offends you. It should. Sorry, but not sorry. But the opposite of pro-life is pro-death. There's just no middle ground. But even pro-deathers are are really angry that he said it in such a way, uh, discriminating against people and babies that have birth defects, saying they should be wiped out for the purposes of a better bottom line. And so I brought that up to Christina, and obviously it's a it's a very touchy subject, and that's why I didn't want to proceed past that by getting into another issue. But as long as we're talking about discrimination, one of the other stories that Christina and I were prepared to discuss is one that is still not being addressed by Ohio's legislators or anybody um, in the Ohio uh, Department of Education or anywhere else in Springfield. And, and I'm going to continue to hammer on this, so I want to give you a little homework over the weekend. Look into this and see if you are hearing anything at all about the repercussions, about punishment, about discipline, or anything of the sort for the um, uh, school in Springfield in which a group, a large group of African-American students cornered and dragged into a corner of the playground a group of white students, literally physically grabbed them and detained them and held them there and made them repeat Black Lives Matter Marxist uh, phrasing. 
made them say these things. Uh, and again, when they tried to run away, they were caught, grabbed, and thrown back into the group and must and forced to do this. The idea that this has gone under the radar to the point where I haven't seen it on a national, I mean, uh, on a local news story. Now, we're Northeast Ohio, so we got Cleveland News. This is Springfield, probably more likely to be on Columbus News, and maybe it's bigger there. But this is something that should be a state issue. This is something that should be known throughout the state. And right now, there's no, I, I, if this was not on Tucker Carlson, I've got a problem with it. This is something that should be much bigger than a localized situation. And so that's what Christina was going to comment on, and I decided against having her do that because of her powerful statement on the abortion uh, story. But I want you to think about it, and I want you to look for it. My homework assignment to you is help me out. Do a little search for Springfield, Ohio, white students uh, detained, uh, essentially cornered and forced to make statements by black students about Black Lives Matter and other Marxist ideology. And I want to know if you see anything about repercussions against those students. I want to know if there's anything about discipline of the teachers, the administration. Where was or where were the playground monitors? Where were the uh, adults in charge while a group of kids were targeted for their race and forced to say things that they may or may not have wanted to say, but they didn't have a choice to say because they were being intimidated by another race? And I don't care what direction the races go, but you and I both know, we all know, that if the races were reversed, this would be on Tucker, and it would be on CNN 24-7, it would be on MSNBC, it would be everywhere. I can't find it anywhere. I found a story on The Blaze, and that's it. So I want you to look into this and tell me if you find anything. We're looking into it. We're trying to find uh, somebody from Springfield who can speak to this. So far, I've got nothing. I'm coming up blank. So I'm asking for your help, if you could, because we'd like to continue to talk about that story next week. It's a big one. It's an important one. Our little kids, because of the uh, constant CRT expression, if not straight up indoctrination and education over those issues, are they leading to little kids being targeted for their skin color and being intimidated, harassed, and maybe even violently so? Uh, I want you to. I want to know if you hear anything more about the Springfield school story. I've got nothing. Thanks so much to my guest today, Donovan O'Neill from Americans for Prosperity. And we spoke earlier on uh, with, um, who did we speak with earlier on? Why am I drawing such a blank here? I said Donovan. Oh, Christina. Christina, of course. Yeah, Donovan was my second. Christina was my first. So Christina Hagen and Donovan O'Neill, thanks to them. Thanks to Johnny Hiles. Thanks to Marianne George. Thanks to Marcy Peebles. And thanks to you for listening. Be well. Be safe. Stay free. We'll see you Monday. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.